Water hides a lot of secrets. Whether it is explosives tucked away at the bottom of the ocean or that sneaky shark making its way up the river, the truth is that we don't always know what's hiding underneath the surface of the water. At least not until it shows up on shore. Throughout the years, all kinds of strange things have shown up on the countless shores around the world. But if there's one thing that's guaranteed to catch attention every single time, it's bodies. My name is Brienne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the sudden 1924 appearance of human bones along the shores of the Lyna River, and the man responsible for putting them there. By the end of this case, police found more than 500 pieces of human bone. So, yeah, there were quite a few bodies cast out into this river. When locals were exploring the shore of the Lina River, I like to think that they were looking for trinkets. The Daily News described the people who found the first skull as urchins, so... I'm pretty sure they were looking for something small and useful, or something to sell, or just something cool to collect. In this case, they found something a lot more concerning and hardly useful. Within a couple of weeks, another skull appeared, and this was just the beginning. Police didn't think too much about the skulls until they did a more thorough search, and uncovered what was basically the motherlode of human bones. This was no accident. Someone was discarding human bones in the river. At this point, police found themselves stuck with a few obvious questions. First, who were all these people at the bottom of the river? Second, What happened to them? And third, who put them there? To have one skull in your river is one thing, but to have hundreds of bone fragments is certainly something else, so the search began. With some research, police were able to determine that the bones in the river belonged to a few missing persons in the area. But that still didn't tell police what happened to these individuals. In the area, there was one seemingly obvious suspect, but he was a suspect that police didn't seem to want to catch. The man's name was Fritz Harmon, and he was a local butcher. Now, I don't know how long you guys thought I was going to make it before digging up another Sweeney Todd case, but we are back at it. Pro tip, don't hang out with butchers. Harmon was a middle-aged man who always seemed to walk the edge of what was and wasn't acceptable in society at the time. 
Like plenty of young people, he was interested in weapons and knives, but not in a normal way. I think we can all agree that it's one thing to walk around at the age of 13 with a pocket knife carving up sticks and cutting blades of grass. But it is something else entirely to obsessively watch the butchers slicing up flesh while they work. Harmon never seemed quite like other kids, and a later head injury didn't seem to help. At some point, his nature took a twisted turn. Harmon found himself in and out of psychiatric care for various reasons, entered compulsory military service and then was medically discharged, and he started a huge fight with his father over his father's cigar business. And at some point, he started committing crimes, including several sex crimes with young boys. Fairly quickly, he was already on and off police radar. But he did what a lot of criminals have done to catch a break and to protect themselves. He started working as an informant. And whether it was his good information or they just liked his vibe... The police seemed to like him. So much so that they ignored that he was the most obvious match for the area's new killer. And when this came to light, the public was livid. What makes it even worse was that his work as an informant actually gave him easy access to the kinds of victims that he was targeting. Harmon's crimes are very disturbing. Throughout his time in Hanover, Germany, Harmon abducted countless young men and boys, and he killed a good number of them. Though no one knows the exact number of victims. Not even him. He had different ways that he would go about this. In some instances, he would entice the young people back using his charms. In others, he would pretend to be a kind and caring friend who would offer them food, protection, and shelter. Like many serial killers, he targeted people who were down on their luck. He targeted the kind of people who didn't believe that they had any other options. People who felt compelled to go with him if only to have one night of peace and comfort. Instead, he assaulted many of them and he killed several of them too. One theory is that his fixation with killing stemmed from being molested as a young boy himself. Eventually, it became clear that Harmon was the killer, and it all happened because of his own hubris. One night, he picked up a new victim. Because, yes, he was still actively committing his crimes, even as the police were patrolling the city looking for him. Harmon and his victim had a fight, and Harmon planned to punish the boy by reporting him to police for having fake documentation during travel. At this point, the boy told police that Harmon had abducted him, imprisoned him for several days, and raped him. Given Harmon's history, they arrested him. Then, they went to search his home, where they found a ton of belongings from missing persons cases in the area. 
At this point, Harmon resigned himself to his fate, and like many other serial killers, was all too happy to share his tale. He talked about how he tricked the young men and boys into his home. He talked about attacking them, about going from playful to violently biting them. He explained how much he loved to drink their blood, earning him the nickname the Vampire of Hanover. And then he dove right into what he did with the bodies. As a butcher, Harmon was capable of dismembering human bodies with a surprising level of prowess. And probably practice, because we have no idea how many times he did this. What we do know is that he liked to start the work with a strong cup of coffee, which is such a weirdly normal thing to place next to such a terrible and messed up action. He told the courts that he would prepare the bodies just like any other kind of meat. He removed intestines, removed the skin, and all the kinds of processes that will just make you want to go vegan, basically. And then he would take the freshly stripped bones and casually hurl them out of his window into the river below. Somehow, no one ever saw him do this as far as we know. Now, I know what you're thinking. What about all the body parts left behind? Well, Harman made them into sausage, which he sold to his neighbors and fed to his friends. But in case you were worried about his mental health, just know that he eventually claimed that his partner, a young man named Hans Granz, was responsible for orchestrating the whole thing and that he just did the dirty work. He claimed that Granz was the bloodthirsty killer, and whether it was true or not, they were both sentenced to death. Though Granz ended up getting off with jail time. Harmon also had his rights of citizenship revoked, which I thought was particularly interesting. As a last meal, he asked for coffee and a cigar. Now, when someone is sentenced to death, you expect them to meet it a lot of different ways. Harmon chose to face death with impatience. He actually instructed the court to hurry up and kill him because he wanted to spend Christmas with his mother up in heaven. So, there's a lot to unpack in that. But ultimately, he was killed with a guillotine, and Germany moved on to more challenging times. So, if you would like to discuss questionable meat sources, reasons to avoid swimming in your local river or ways to protect the more vulnerable members of society, feel free to contact me on Twitter or Instagram using the tag at that pod. Thanks, guys. Thanks.